This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of Achilles tendon rupture from the foot and ankle section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Achilles tendon ruptures are common tendon injuries that occur due to sudden dorsiflexion of a plantar flex foot, most commonly associated with sporting events. Diagnosis can be made clinically with weakness of plantar flexion with a positive Thompson's test. MRI studies may be indicated for surgical management of chronic injuries. Treatment may be non-operative or operative depending on patient age, patient activity demands, and chronicity of injury. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence of Achilles tendon ruptures, there are 18 per 100,000 per year, however may be missed in up to 25% of cases. In terms of demographics, Achilles tendon ruptures are more common in men and is most common in ages 30 to 40. Risk factors include episodic athletes, otherwise known as weekend warriors, fluoroquinolone antibiotics, and steroid injections. Moving on to the etiology of Achilles tendon rupture, the mechanism is usually a traumatic injury during a sporting event and may occur with sudden forced plantar flexion as well as violent dorsiflexion in a plantar flex foot. With respect to pathoanatomy, rupture usually occurs 4 to 6 centimeters above the calcaneal insertion in the hypovascular region. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy. The Achilles tendon is the largest tendon in the body and is formed by the confluence of the soleus muscle tendon as well as medial and lateral gastrocnemius tendons. The blood supply is from the posterior tibial artery. Moving on to the presentation of an Achilles tendon rupture, as far as the history, the patient usually reports a pop. Symptoms include weakness and difficulty walking as well as pain in the heel. On physical examination, in terms of inspection, there is increased resting ankle dorsiflexion in the prone position with the knees bent and calf atrophy may be apparent in chronic cases. With palpation in the setting of an Achilles tendon rupture, you may appreciate a palpable gap. As far as motion assessment, there will be weakness to ankle plantar flexion, as well as increased passive dorsiflexion. Provocative tests include the Thompson's test, which is a lack of plantar flexion when the calf is squeezed. Moving on to imaging, radiographs are used to rule out other pathology. Moving on to ultrasound, this may be useful to determine complete versus partial ruptures. An MRI is indicated in the setting of equivocal physical exam findings and in the setting of chronic ruptures. As far as findings, an MRI will show acute rupture with retracted tendon edges. Moving on to treatment of Achilles tendon ruptures, this can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes functional bracing slash casting in resting equinus. This can be indicated in acute injuries with surgeon or patient preference for non-operative management. It's also indicated in sedentary patients as well as medically frail patients. As far as outcomes, know that there's equivalent plantar flexion strength compared to operative management. New studies show equivalent rates of re-rupture if functional rehabilitation is used versus operative repair. Finally, know that non-operative management has fewer complications compared to operative treatment. Operative options include open end-to-end -end Achilles tendon repair, percutaneous Achilles tendon repair, reconstruction with a VY advancement, as well as flexor halysis longest transfer plus or minus a VY advancement of the gastrocnemius. So starting with open end-to-end -end Achilles tendon repair, this is indicated in the setting of acute ruptures, which is defined as approximately less than six weeks old. As far as outcomes, there is a decreased rate of re-rupture compared to non-operative management. New level one evidence has suggested no difference in re-rupture rates with functional rehab protocols. Also know that there is no significant difference in plantar flexion strength with functional rehab protocols. Also know that there is a decreased risk of re-rupture after surgical repair when early range of motion protocols are used. Moving on to percutaneous Achilles tendon repair, 
This is indicated when there's concerns over cosmesis of a traditional scar. As far as outcomes, know that there's a higher risk of sural nerve damage. However, there is a lesser risk of wound complications slash infection compared with open repair. Moving on to reconstruction with a VY advancement, this is indicated in the setting of chronic ruptures with a defect of less than 3 centimeters. Finally, moving on to flexor halysis longest transfer, plus or minus VY advancement of the gastrocnemius. This is indicated in the setting of chronic ruptures with a defect of greater than 3 centimeters. However, note that this requires a functioning tibial nerve. Now, let's talk about some of these management techniques in a bit more detail. Starting with functional bracing slash casting and resting equinus, the technique involves a cast slash brace in 20 degrees of plantar flexion and early functional rehab for those treated without a cast. Moving on to end-to-end -to -end Achilles tendon repair, the approach will involve making an incision just medial to the Achilles tendon to avoid the sural nerve. The technique will involve incising the paratenon, exposing the tendon edges, and repairing with a heavy non-absorbable suture. Postoperative care will include immobilizing in 20 degrees of plantar flexion to decrease the tension on the skin and protect the tendon repair for four to six weeks. As far as percutaneous Achilles tendon repair, be sure to watch videos of this technique on orthobullets.com or the Bullets app. As far as reconstruction with the VY advancement, the technique will involve making a V-cut with the apex at the musculotendinous junction with the limbs divergent to exit the tendon. The V is incised through only the superficial tendinous portion, leaving the muscle fibers intact. Finally, moving on to flexor halysis longus transfer plus or minus VY advancement of the gastrocnemius, the technique involves excising degenerative tendon edges, releasing the FHL tendon at the knot of Henry and transferring through the calcaneus, as well as residual hallux plantar flexion weakness. Now, let's end this review session talking about some complications. The ones to know include re-rupture, wound healing complications, and sural nerve injury. The incidence of re-rupture is higher with non-operative treatment at approximately 10 to 40% versus 2%. Know that new level 1 evidence has shown no difference in re-rupture rates. Treatment of a re-rupture involves surgical repair. Moving on to wound healing complications, this has an incidence of 5 to 10%. Risk factors include smoking, which is the most common, female gender, steroid use, and an open technique versus a percutaneous technique. Treatment in the setting of deep infection includes debridement of the necrotic-slash-infected Achilles tendon and culture-specific antibiotics for six weeks. Finally, in terms of sural nerve injury, this has a higher incidence when the percutaneous approach is used. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. A 35-year-old patient presents with right calf weakness of approximately six weeks duration. The patient noted a pop in the back of their heel when carrying a heavy box up a flight of stairs. In the office, there is approximately a 3-centimeter palpable defect in the posterior heel cord. When examined in the prone position, the foot rests in greater dorsiflexion compared to the contralateral side. Which procedure will most likely need to be performed at the time of surgical repair? And the choices are 1. Flexor digitorum longus transfer. 2. Tibialis posterior transfer. 3. VY advancement of the Achilles. 4. Synthetic graft augmentation. And 5. Perineal brevis tendon transfer. The correct answer to this question is 3. VY advancement of the Achilles. So the patient is presenting with a chronic Achilles tendon rupture with retraction of the proximal tendon. Based on the size of the defect and the chronicity, a VY advancement will most likely be performed of the given answer choices. To quickly review, the Achilles tendon is the strongest tendon in the body, but can easily rupture in the presence of chronic tendinosis. 
chronic ruptures defined as greater than six weeks pose a challenge to surgical repair in that the proximal tendon stump retracts and becomes immobile, making primary repair difficult to impossible. Chronic ruptures can be addressed with VY advancement, Achilles tendon turndown, and or FHL transfer. Previous literature has described the use of synthetic graft and peroneous brevis transfers, but there are concerns of graft longevity and eversion weakness with these methods. Rahm et al. in 2013 retrospectively reviewed 40 patients undergoing Achilles tendon repair with FHL transfer, 22 with a transtendinous repair, and 18 with a transosseous repair. At follow-up, there were no significant differences with regards to AOFAS scores and plantar flexion strength. The authors concluded the fixation method of the FHL transfer does not affect the outcomes. Krautler et al. reviewed the treatment of chronic Achilles tendon ruptures. For functionally low-demand patients, non-operative treatment was proposed. For ruptures with less than 2 cm of a defect, primary repair was recommended. For ruptures 2 to 5 cm in length, a VY advancement can be performed. Large defects can be repairs with tendon transfers, with the FHL being the most common, and can be augmented with VY advancement or Achilles turndown. Additional reconstruction options, include allograft, have been reported with good results, but are limited to case series. Blumen et al. discussed the principles of tendon transfers in foot and ankle surgery. The authors recommended tendon transfers be performed based on the needs of the patient, with functionally low-demand patients being poor candidates. Donor tendons must be selected on the basis of muscle strength, tendon excursion, tendon expandability, the direction of the pull, the phase of the donor muscle, and the integrity. Postoperatively, patients should be immobilized and avoidance of NSAIDs and nicotine are recommended. Neufeld et al. in 2014 reviewed tendon transfer principles for the treatment of Achilles tendon pathologies. For chronic tendinosis and insertional tendonitis, transfer of the FHL is recommended when there is greater than 50% of the tendon involved. Additionally, VY advancement can be combined with FHL transfers for chronic-slash-neglected Achilles tendon ruptures. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, flexor digitorum longus transfer is incorrect as flexor digitorum longus transfers are reported in the literature with good success. However, it is not preferred since it is not adjacent to the Achilles as the FHL tendon and does not provide the same power as an FHL transfer. In a defect of 3 centimeters, a VY advancement would likely be successful and not sacrifice the function of the donor muscle. Answer 2, tibialis posterior transfer is incorrect as tibialis posterior is technically an option but not preferred as it will lead to weakness of the Chopar joint and loss of foot inversion strength. Answer 4, synthetic graft augmentation is an option in a combination of an FHL or an Achilles tendon advancement or VY advancement. However, alone, there are concerns for the longevity of the graft. Finally, answer 5, peroneous brevis tendon transfer is incorrect, as previous literature has described good results with peroneous brevis transfers, although this would lead to eversion weakness and the muscle does not replicate the pull of the Achilles. Moving on to the next question. A 58-year-old golfer fell stepping into a sand trap and ruptured his Achilles tendon one year ago. He initially chose non-operative treatment, but became unsatisfied with a tender fullness behind his ankle and ankle weakness noticeable during his tee shots. At the time of surgery, a large disorganized fibrous mass is found at the site of rupture. Following extensive debridement, there is a 5cm gap between the viable tissue ends. Which of the following surgical techniques provides the greatest likelihood of a successful clinical outcome? And the choices are 1. Gastrocnemius turndown repair augmented with transfer of the posterior tibial tendon. 2. Gastrocnemius turndown repair augmented with transfer of the extensor digitorum longus. 3. Gastrocnemius turndown repair augmented with transfer of the flexor hallucis longus. 
4. Reconstruction with hamstring autographed. And 5. Primary repair with the foot in maximal plantar flexion, followed by a gradual stretching program. The correct answer to this question is 3. Gastrocnemius turndown repair augmented with transfer of the flexor hallucis longus. So tendon loss is a complication associated with secondary ruptures of a repaired Achilles tendon and chronic Achilles tendon ruptures. Gastrocnemius turndown utilizes a slip of the central third of the gastrocnemius tendon to bridge the gap. Flexor hallucis longus, or FHL, is the preferred tendon transfer to augment tissue loss due to its proximity and vascularity. Answer choice 5, primary repair with the foot in maximal plantar flexion followed by a gradual stretching program is not a prudent option given the risk of equinus contracture and recurrent rupture. Wapner et al. conducted a case review of seven patients who underwent FHL augmentation for chronic Achilles tendon rupture. Results included no surgical complications, a small but functionally insignificant decrease in ankle and great toe range of motion, and clinical satisfaction of all seven patients. And moving on to the final question, which of the following outcomes has been reported with surgical repair of acute Achilles tendon ruptures as compared to non-operative treatment with functional rehabilitation? And the choices are 1. Improved ankle dorsiflexion strength at 6-month follow-up. 2. Improved ankle dorsiflexion range of motion at 6-month follow-up. 3. Improved mean SMFA scores at 12 months. 4. A statistically significant decrease in re-rupture rates. And 5. Increased complication rates. The correct answer to this question is 5. Increased complication rates. So recent level 1 evidence has failed to show significant differences in strength, range of motion, and SMFA scores, or re-rupture rates, when comparing operative versus non-operative management. Studies have consistently shown increased complication rates with operative management, however. There is much debate on the appropriate management of acute Achilles tendon ruptures. Historically, studies have shown increased re-rupture rates and decreased strength with non-operative management. However, recent randomized prospective studies have failed to show significant clinical differences, but continue to show increased wound complications with operative management. Keating et al. prospectively randomized 80 patients to operative or non-operative management of acute Achilles tendon ruptures. At one-year follow-up, they did not find statistically significant difference in re-rupture rate, strength, or short musculoskeletal function assessment, or SMFA scores. Willidis et al. prospectively randomized 144 patients to operative or non-operative treatment for acute Achilles tendon ruptures. Re-rupture occurred in two of the patients treated operative and three treated non-operatively, which was not statistically significant. Additionally, there was no clinically important difference between groups with regard to strength, range of motion, cap circumference, or Lepilotti score. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, improved ankle dorsiflexion strength at 6-month follow-up is incorrect, as while some studies have shown increased plantar flexion strength, they have not shown a statistically significant difference in dorsiflexion strength. Answer 2, improved ankle dorsiflexion range of motion at 6-month follow-up is incorrect, as some studies have shown decreased dorsiflexion range of motion at 6 months in operative groups. Answer 3, improved mean SMFA scores at 12 months is incorrect, as level 1 evidence has shown no difference in SMFA scores at 12 months. Finally, answer 4, a statistically significant decrease in re-rupture rates is incorrect, as classically, re-rupture rates have been higher in non-operative groups, and new level 1 data suggests no difference in re-rupture rates. That's all for this review about Achilles tendon rupture. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. 
Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.